You're listening to Understanding the Law Radio, your business success and legal information station. Hi, and thanks for joining me for another episode of Understanding the Law Radio. I'm your host, Peter Lamont, and we are uh, only a few days away from the 4th of July. A lot of people are going on vacation or they have just started their vacation. And in our last podcast, we were talking about some vacation safety tips and some of them, I think, pulling from my experience as a lawyer, might not be as well known to you as others. You know, everybody knows that um, you've got to hold your kids' hands when you're crossing the street and that sort of mundane safety stuff. Um, but on the last show, we talked about things like the way that the doors are constructed in hotel rooms and how when little kids or even bigger kids stick their fingers in that space between the door and the jam. When those doors slam, they are, you know, spring-loaded, and they can actually cut your fingers off. We talked about that. We talked about airport safety and a whole bunch of other travel-related. Now, the episode was going long, so I decided to split it into two parts, and that's what you have today. We've got part two of our vacation safety. So let's just jump right in and pick up where we left off. Now, last time we we ended talking about hotels and swimming pool safety, but today I want to talk about ocean safety. And it's very relevant if you've been following the news um, just because of the, I, I think, huge increase in activity of sharks, especially here on the East Coast, where normally the water's too cold, we don't see them, but we're seeing sharks that are coming so close to swimmers all the way down the East Coast in the Atlantic Ocean, Maine, New Jersey, New York, everywhere. Um, But let's talk about that for a second. So first of all, the obvious apparent one is sea life. You know, there's been an increase in sharks. There have been an increase in people that have been bitten by sharks. And I know that there's this hysteria that a lot of people will will encounter when they see these sort of things and they say, all right, that's it. We're never going in the water again. And, you know, uh, is that really practical? Probably not. And you're on the other side of the table going to hear those people who say, are you kidding me? Let's look at the statistics. And one out of, and I'm making this up, so don't quote me on it, one out of every 10 or 100 or 1,000 people are actually bitten by a shark every year. So the risk is so minimal And this is just the media trumping this up for some media attention. Now, I think the truth, as with everything, lies somewhere in the middle. But you can see with your own eyes that there's been an increase in shark sightings uh, very close to to the shoreline. So, number one, make sure that you are aware of your surroundings when you are at the ocean or at the beach. I remember when I was younger... I didn't have kids. I wasn't married. You'd go, you'd sit on the beach, you'd lay there, you'd fall asleep. Every once in a while, I think back and I'm like, man, those were the most relaxing, amazing times ever. And then when you have kids, things change. I mean, the simple fact is that you just can't lay on the beach and um, hope for the best because you don't know, even when your kids are in very shallow water, you know, you don't know whether or not something is right five, 10 feet away. You've got to really be aware of that. So 
I hate to sound preachy like that, but I know for my own kids, I, you know, prior to a few years ago, I might be more inclined to let them walk knee deep in the water while I was close by, but not on top of them. And I, I don't know right now, you know, because it doesn't seem like it's worth the risk, even if the risk is minimal. Uh, I don't like taking risks like that, especially with my kids. So be aware of what's going on with the marine life and some of these new shark spottings and, and attacks. Another thing that I want to talk about is dehydration. Now, dehydration is super important. You don't even realize that you or your kids are getting dehydrated. But when you start getting dehydrated, you stop thinking clearly. Even mild dehydration can inhibit your ability to think clearly. Um, so it's very important that you stay hydrated because once you get dehydrated, if it's a mild case, it can take 45 minutes before your body rehydrates. And if you go to a point of no return, you could end up in the hospital. I like to tie in personal stories just because I think that it's, it's more than me just saying, hey, be aware of this and be aware of that. But a couple of years ago, we went to Maine. And this is a combination of two warnings, by the way. There's the dehydration. And then the other issue that I was going to touch on, but I'll tie it in now, is water temperatures. You know, on the East Coast, it could be 90 degrees in New Jersey or Maine or Massachusetts. And the water temperature still could still be in the 50s and 60s. So don't be... Um, tricked into believing that the water temperature is the same temperature as the air temperature because it just isn't. So a few years ago, we were at the beach. We were up in Maine. And my son, who uh, he maybe he was 15, 14, 15, 16, somewhere in there, so not a little kid. We went into the ocean, and it was me and my all three, three boys, right? So we're in, uh, maybe we were waist deep, just hanging out. And, you know, waves came and you ducked down under the waves, typical stuff, right? And then all of a sudden, my oldest son says, you know, I, I'm not feeling that good. I'm feeling a little dizzy. Now, the water was cold. I mean, it was, it was a 4th of July weekend. It was 80-something air temperature, and the water was freezing. So we got out of the, the uh, ocean and we went back to the blanket and, and our setup, our tent. And all of a sudden, he starts to throw up and says he doesn't feel good. He's going to go to the bathroom. He starts walking down the beach, and he passes out. We take him to the hospital. I mean, it was like a big deal. They cleared the beach, ambulance, whole big thing, people screaming. Um, but we take him to the hospital, and it was two things, something called cold uticaria, which was a result of the uh, extreme difference between the air temperature and the water temperature and the way that his body was processing that cold water temperature. And secondly, he was dehydrated. So it was like a, you know, a one-two punch. He was dehydrated, and then the water temperature was so cold that he passed out. So those warnings, I mean, I never, ever thought about that before, ever, until I saw it with my own eyes. So that's another thing that you need to look out for. And, you know, when you are on a public beach, and when you are, you know, with, uh, I, I don't know, lifeguards and, and maybe um, a municipal beach or whatever it might be, I think a lot of times people think to themselves, well, there's lifeguards, it's safe. Or 
there's lifeguards, and I'll sue them if they do a bad job. But the problem with all of that is, what good is suing anybody if somebody that you love has been injured or, God forbid, killed? There is no point. No point because no amount of money, no amount of vindication uh, will ever bring you back what you have lost, nor will it make you whole. And on top of that, just from a legal standpoint, suing a governmental entity or a municipality or a township is not as easy as you think. Every single municipal entity throughout the country has some, in every state, has some form of statutory protection that makes it far more difficult to sue a governmental entity or township, etc., than it does the average person. Most of the time, you have to give notice of the lawsuit. It could take, depending upon your state, up to six months before you're even allowed to file the suit after providing the notice. And then they've got all kinds of immunities. They're not held to uh, a normal negligence standard. They're held to a higher standard. So if you think like that, you're, you're thinking the wrong way and the results could be disastrous. So take the ocean seriously. And, and we're not even talking about things that you probably already know about, you know, rip currents and things like that. I mean, that's just general knowledge about the ocean, but respect it and don't rely on the people that are there who are, you know, trained to take care of you lifeguards. But really, when you think about it, you go up and down a beach and you've got multiple lifeguards for, I mean, what, what, what let's say you've got a, an average strip of beach, maybe you've got five to 10 lifeguards, but how many hundreds of people are they responsible for? And the ocean is so unpredictable and so uh, strong that even the best of swimmers can have issues. So just keep that in mind. All right now, this next one, um, I have to say I had thought about doing this at one point and didn't. I was annoyed, and I'll you know tell you about it in a second, but th- this is pretty important. So when you go to a theme park or an amusement park and you've got different age kids, this happened to me, I've got three boys, right? And they range now from ages seven and a half all the way up to almost 18, 17 and a half, right? So big difference. We would go to theme parks, in particular Disney. And I'll never forget this one time we were going on Test Track. So if you know Test Track, you know that it's, you know, it's a, it's a car ride. Um, it takes you through a training simulation of a brand new car that you built, and then it goes out in a track and goes around, um, you know, at, at a high speed. It's fun. But there's a height requirement. And one year we went and the um, attendant who checks you in because we had fast passes, she took all of us in, including my little guy. And I didn't even think to measure his height. So we went on the ride. Everything was fine. We get out of the ride and we're going to do it again. So we go on to do it again. And this time there's a new attendant. And they say, wait a second, let's check your height. They check his height, and he was probably half an inch too short. So they wouldn't let him on. And I, of course, you know, I was mad. Well, he just went on, and why won't you let him on now? And then I thought to myself, you know what? We should stick some tissues in his shoe and make him a little bit higher. We're talking about half an inch, and he was already on the ride. But I didn't. And I've talked to a lot of people since then, and they have experienced similar scenarios and a lot of them say, oh, yeah, I just I just shoved something in the kid's shoe. There was another family that I talked to that actually bought like 
inserts for the kid's shoe to make him a little bit taller? Well, I thought about it and I did some research on it. And don't do it. It's not a good idea, right? Because it really is there for your safety, not for your annoyance, these height requirements and restrictions. So, you know, to take a chance like that, even even for me, right? He went on the first time. And then to take a chance the second time, could I have done it? Sure. But they're there for a reason. And the states regulate, depending upon what state you are, you could also have local uh, regulatory authorities too, but they regulate these rides. And they test heights and things like that. It could have to do with the seatbelt. It could have to do with the way that the harness works. you know. And it's just not worth the risk. It just isn't. If you look at the statistics for amusement theme park injuries, it is stunning. You know, I, I like to follow the Disney injuries just because, I don't know, I think it's interesting to see because Disney really is, I think, the gold standard for safety on, on rides. Um, but... I would say that if you looked at them as a whole across the country, you'd be really surprised. And most of the injuries, according to statistics, occur to people who are below the age of 18. And they were saying in some of the statistics that I was reading um, that 60% of ride injuries uh, are caused either by guests behaving badly or by guests not being properly fastened into the rides. So, I mean, it's a tough statistic to break apart because they're combining two different things. I mean, you know, you got kids goofing around on the ride, and of course that opens you up to potential uh, injury. And then you've got the kids that aren't properly seatbelted. But it's not worth the risk. Don't do it. Because if you do it and your kid gets hurt, and even though I said to you before that suing when your kid gets hurt doesn't doesn't do anything for you, let's assume that, that your kid is slightly below the height restriction. You put something in his shoe to raise him up and your son or daughter gets injured, not you know, to the point of absolute severity or paralyzed or anything like that, but, but injured. Let's say it's some sort of uh, compound fracture and you need to have uh, pins and screws inserted. So it's a pretty serious ordeal and there's a couple surgeries related to it. If you go back and try to sue Disney, because you put the lifts in the shoes, and if the accident is attributed to some malfunction of the safety harness, but not a malfunction because of the way it was designed, but because your kid didn't fit in that harness the right way because of the height, you are going to have a difficult time getting anything, right? There's something called contributory negligence. If you are at fault, and depending upon the kind of state that you live in, that that de- determines the uh, limits of this contributory negligence. If you're at fault, you either can eliminate any claims that you have against somebody else, or you can reduce them by a percentage of your negligence, again, depending upon the state you're in. So first, don't do it because it, it's harmful, potentially harmful to your kids. There are guidelines and rules for this, and they're there for a reason. And secondly, 
if there is an injury that's not life-threatening but still serious, and you go to sue and you're negligent by avoiding the height restrictions, by tricking the system, you're going to recover nothing or minimal. And how does that help you if you have to pay medical bills and all sorts of other expenses? So don't do it, okay? And the last topic. Funny that, again, I've got another story for this one. The last topic is internet safety. And this, I'm, I'm sure you've seen before, and you probably think, you know, why are you telling me this? Well, last night I was sitting at dinner talking to my oldest son, and I was asking him about this girl that he's friends with. And I said, oh, have you spoken to her this weekend? He said, no, she's at such and such place. And I said, oh, did you talk to her? No. I said, well, how do you know she's at the place? And he said, well, on Snapchat, there is a geolocator, and um, she has it turned on, and I have mine turned on, and I can see where she is. Now, I right away, you know, I guess being liability-averse, right? I hate liability. I want to try to reduce it as much as possible. My first thought is, are you kidding me? you got to turn that off. Why would you have that located? Because people can see where you are, and that leads to a whole host of potential problems. You know where she is. Now, what if adults do this? And all of a sudden, I'm posting online on Facebook, in the car, driving to, you know, Canada, going to take a two-week vacation. I mean, that's practically telling people, hey, I'm not home. Why don't you come on in and take what you want? I know I'm exaggerating slightly, but still. Now, if you've got a geolocator on, you don't even realize it, you might be very um, you know, private and discreet about your, your travel. Maybe you have a rule in your house that you don't post until you're home, which is good, but you have a geolocator on, and without you even knowing it, people know where you are. So I think two things. Number one, you and your kids, you need to have a discussion before you go away about what you're going to post and when you're going to post it. Because while, you know, the likelihood that it's going to happen might be lower than, you know, an amusement park injury, it still poses a potential risk. And it is one of the number one, or or one of the top ways, I should say, not the number one, but one of the top 10 ways that crimes occur over the summer. It's when people post on social media and some friend who is no longer your friend or a friend of a friend who is a little bit shady, they see your way, they view it as a target, and then they come and they, you know, break into your house. And that's, that's a problem. I mean, there have actually been incidents where somebody's done that. They've posted that they were away and they were actually having an older person house set and the thieves don't realize it. They come in, they see somebody there, the person is a little bit older, uh, they're not expecting anybody, they have a heart attack. I mean, crazy things like that happen. They happen a lot. And a lot of times they're just not discussed on the news um, because there's other tragic stories they want to get to, but you've got to look these things up and be aware of it. So a good rule of thumb is to have a social media posting guideline. Make sure that you and your kids are on the same page. You don't want to have this policy with your you know, husband or wife. We're not going to post. And then 
you know, your kids are posting or your kids have a, a geo tag or geo locator turned on and it defeats the purpose of what you're doing. So I think it's very important. I know that there are a lot of people that will go on vacation, they will take pictures and they'll come home or on their way home and they'll start posting about them. Uh, again, I mean, I understand that there are privacy settings. I understand um, how Facebook works, but I also understand that there are times when people who you are not necessarily friends with, but might be friends of a friend, there are times and ways and scenarios where other people that you might not want to see where you are, they see it. You know, so I think you have to be aware of that. Um, I mean, as far as my personal thoughts on it, I mean, I, I don't want to go too overboard. If I'm away, I might post something, um, but. I don't post my entire trip. I don't post when I'm leaving um, because I don't, I don't want to open myself up to that kind of risk. It's not worth it. So be aware of it and make sure you have a plan in place. All right, now, that's going to do it for these tips. It's a two-part podcast. We talked about all the different, um, more off-the-beaten-path, if you will, safety tips when it comes to vacation and travel. These are not some of the more common, I mean, things like ocean temperature, cold uticari. I mean, these aren't things that you'll, you'll get in a checklist for, I don't know who gives you checklists anymore, AAA. I mean, they used to give you a whole bunch of stuff, but um, nowadays you've got the internet and you're going to look and you're going to see the uh, top five safety things. And, you know, they're going to be more general, but I think we've touched upon things that you might not have been aware of. I mean, you know about them, but maybe they're not at the forefront of your mind because that's how it is for me. I mean, I I had no real um, understanding about how quickly dehydration can happen. You know, and I was, I was an athlete all my life. I understand about hydrating, but you know, you were on the beach, the air temperature was warm. There was a breeze. You weren't sweating. You're in the water. And all of a sudden, the next thing you know, your kid is dehydrated and has some sort of reaction to the cold. So uh, hopefully, you know, you don't see these things as me preaching um, safety and, and uh, I know this, why is he telling me this? I really want to share some personal things that, that have happened and let you know about these, these risks that you might not know about. Because when I go on vacation, the last thing I want is a, a visit to the emergency room. It does seem to happen quite frequently for me, but I want to try to avoid that. And I want you to avoid that too, because in in this country, we work hard. We work very, very hard at our jobs to build our businesses, our brands, our companies, to be the best boss or employee or manager or whatever you are that you can be. We work hard to support our families. We pay a lot of money for all sorts of things in this country, from education to healthcare. Um, to food. And when you get a week or two to yourselves and your family, and that for, you know, many people, a week to two weeks is all you get in a year that's 52 weeks long. That's not a lot of time to yourself. And you want to enjoy that time to the fullest. You don't want to be in a situation where you're in the emergency room. You just don't. It's no fun. You know, you get seven days on vacation, 10 days on vacation, and spending one or two of them in a doctor or urgent care or emergency room, 
you know, and then the stress on top of it, it defeats the whole purpose. So um, hopefully these help you. Hopefully it, it makes you think about just a couple other things. And if there's anything that I've missed that you think are relevant and more um, off the beaten path, let me know. Leave a comment. Send me an email. Um, all my contact information is in the description of the podcast. If you're listening on iTunes or Podbean, it's all there. And send me, uh, send me a link. Send me some feedback and let me know. And then if there's other things that I've missed that you think are relevant, we'll do a, we'll do a third um, set of, of these podcasts. We'll do another episode, and we'll touch on them too. All right, well, listen, if you're going away this holiday weekend or week because 4th of July falls on Thursday, please have the best time that you possibly can. Stay safe, stay happy, and enjoy your time with your family and your friends. Thanks, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Understanding the Law Radio. If you'd like more information about the show, or if you'd like to take advantage of our business and legal self-help resources, including our extensive video library, then visit us online at utlradio.com. You can also find us over on Facebook, Twitter, and on YouTube. Now, if you have any questions about any of the topics that you've heard discussed on today's show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic for future shows, please feel free to reach out to me directly at pl at pjlesq.com, or you can call us at 201-904-2211. Please also make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Also, share the information that you receive through this podcast with your family, your friends, and colleagues, and let them know about utlradio.com, your business success and legal information station.